So Tuesday afternoon, right? That is where we stand right now. I'm just it. beginning to see. Now I'm on my way. Is that a, the Tuesday afternoon the whole thing? Did That's I miss the it? lyrics, you know, to Tuesday afternoon. I know. This is a yeah, Moody Blues song. Oh, the Moody Blues. Yeah. Nice. Get those references very much. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You leave it to me. I appreciate it. Here we are Tuesday. Yeah, I guess the, the, our friends out there in podcast land don't need to know what day we're Could recording. Could be any day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, it's all good, though. Yeah. The exciting thing, right? right? I can't hardly wait. Right? Yes. A topic. We have a topic. An umbrella. <laughs> yes, we do. That really does it up. Yeah, it feels nice. I was excited. It is uh, It is animals, right? Yeah, creatures. That's the show that I looked up. Yes. Adding to our list of animal shows. What are we if not animals? It, we are. Right. Yeah, definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> we fall under that kingdom. So animal-related yeah. idioms. Correct. Phrases, words, probably all idioms. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Who's going first? Do you mind? I don't. Please, be my guest. Be our guest as we listen along. <laughs> Well, you have to ask questions on the fly. <laughs> so, yeah, my first one is a bird in the hand. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Two in the bush. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bird in the hand is two in the bush. Um, that means it is better to have the certainty of possessing something that has some value than to gamble that certainty on the promise of possessing something of greater value. You've got curtain number one. Do you go for curtain number two? Right. You've already already, you've already have the got sofa set. Yeah. But there could be a car. Could be. Or a donkey. Or a donkey. Yeah. Right. What do you do? The sofa set is the bird in the hand. It's the way we usually think of it. Well... Mm-hmm. Right. That's how I think of it. Me too. And I don't know why anyone would think of it another way it makes so much sense but our friends in the lexicographical field might pose a slightly different really idea okay but don't i get ahead of myself all right Uh, we'll back that up uh old 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 but that's what's good about it i'm gonna bounce around on these variations because they they come in colors okay so this one that i really I enjoy it. 15th century in the life of St. Catherine by J. Capgrave. And this has that, that brilliant Middle English stuff. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. But I, I don't know for some reason, where's the line between Middle English and pirate speak? Because <laughs> sometimes I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, that's a pirate. <laughs> this is a pirate. Right? Uh, I think similar times, really. I hope so, because... Here comes a pirate. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> it is more secure a bird in your fist than to howl three in the sky a bow. Right? Yeah. So do you get the gist of that? Yeah, I got the gist of it. It's better to have a bird in my fist than to have three in the sky. Yeah. I think is what he's driving That's at. what he said. Yeah. <laughs> Pi- pirate. <laughs> yeah. But if you read it, you, you have to say it that way. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. And and then older yet, uh, 13th century Latin 
derivative that is pretty much exact translation. Now, I, I broke it down because nobody will do it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to do it a word at a time. Uh, taking some grief in in recent episodes about some of my uh, translations <laughs> and the flippancy with which I... <laughs> It's, it's just, you know, I, I do what I can. Yeah, I mean, we, we are trying. <laughs> We're trying. We could try harder, though, but go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Plus valet manibus avis unica quam dupla silvis. This is a Latin phrase that is directly means a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty old, then. Oh, it's old. <laughs> But why? Why? That's that's what we have to ask. Here again, 16th century, uh, John Haywood's a dialogue containing the number in effect of all the proverbs in the English tongue. In other words, here's a bunch of English proverbs. <laughs> it's a collection. Better one bird in the hand than ten in the wood. I made him something else. That's Irish or something. So that is again the same thing, and and that dates back further from Aramaic. You know, better a sparrow held tight in the hand than a thousand birds flying about in the air. These are yeah. this is all the same thing over and over with slight different uh, colors on it. Yeah, but we're sticking with the birds. And here's why: all through time. Okay, yeah, 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 all through time. It seems like it, right? I mean, until you go back. Uh, to uh, the Bible, Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. Oh, classic. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. A living dog is better than a dead lion. All right. <laughs> yeah, a living dog's better than a dead anything. Right. A living dog's pretty great. Sure. I mean, it's hard to top that. You no, know, what you, you can got? sleep on them. They lick your face. So It doesn't feel... Well, it yeah, it doesn't. But I was trying to dig up a route to where uh, this general idea came from, and that one's that one's uh, mm. you know a little shady on mm-hmm. the same translation of idea, but it plays in mm-hmm. somewhat. Why well, use that one? Because there's just so many. It's in the family. It's in the family. Mm-hmm. I got uh, you. There's nowhere else to go because this this traces back with this same idea, and it's harder because it's not something that that people used. Like we trace now an idiom that might be in a book or might be in a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then you could see its transition, its transition in use or something like that. Yeah, it modifies it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I got you. But this is so old yeah. that there is no transition. It's just kind of a proverb for literally thousands of years. Mm-hmm. It seems that... Strangely enough, to me, because when I think of that, it's as if I'm saying, well, it'd be the same as gambling or anything, right? Right. I, I have a dollar. Yeah. And I could put it down in that on that red 27. And if I win, I'll have $3. Mm-hmm. But if I lose, I don't have my dollar. Right. That's how I think of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but all the lexicographers of the planet all seem to focus in on a slightly askew origin and a sort of way of life or sport, if if that's what how you think of these things, uh, that I didn't know existed. 
Yeah, what's that? Okay, what's that? And that is falconry, where you, you train a falcon yeah. or an eagle mm -hmm. or some such hawk to hunt, and you sort of guide it. Yeah. You teach it, and you guide it, and you point it at prey. Okay. And not, you know, typically other weaker prey birds, you know, but not always. You know, you get a big eagle or a large hawk that you've trained, and apparently you can point them at foxes and other creatures like this, like yeah. gazelle. Yeah. Oh, man. That's what they say. Sure. They're, they're um, But you dare, once you had trained your falcon, you dared not risk it. So you didn't point it at prey that might throw it off, might lead it out of your line of sight, or might be able to overtake it. Mm -hmm. And so you dared not risk your bird in hand mm -hmm. for two in the subsequent bush. And people have documented doing this from 1300 BC. Mm -hmm. And the sport, or it was sort of a way to get prey to get a creature to eat. Mm -hmm. So presumably... you you gave your hawk some of the kill and then you ate you right. ate more right team <laughs> and this went on until uh 17th century and until uh, people invented the shotgun and that put an end to it but uh, people seemingly still do it yeah i've seen uh, you know as a sport as yeah. i said but it was an actual yeah. hunting tool that people used because uh, of the origin of this phrase being as old as it is, mm -hmm. and, in, and in all these permutations mm -hmm. coming from all of these uh, cultures that employed falconry, mm -hmm. yeah. and there's no other use of it. Right, that's why it consistently is a bird then. That's why it consistently is a bird. Yeah. That's what I have. Falconry huh. explains what that is, as odd as it, as it may seem. Yeah. Interesting. Not what I expected, I guess. No, but I... Anytime I can read pirate, I like it. <laughs> With a falcon on your shoulder. Yeah. Perhaps. Sweet. Uh, well, I'm not going to count my chickens. Is really, we could shorten it to that. Don't count your chickens, buddy. But... The well, you've you've done away with the hatching. Well, I'm business. gonna do the full, and then, but because yeah, people say don't count your chickens. Well, yeah, it, it implies before they hatch afterwards. Right. Yeah. Uh, don't be hasty in evaluating one's assets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love finding the the wordy ones. Yeah. Yeah. Just boil it right down to what we're really saying. Yeah. Don't be hasty in evaluating one's assets. Several assets. Right. I don't think I say this, although it's certainly used in all over the place. Very, very popular phrase. Very popular. Yeah. Um, the Oxford Dictionary of Proverbs tells me that this idiom uh, was first recorded in print by Thomas Howell in New Sonnets and Pretty Pamphlets. Do tell. In 1570. Uh, with the pirate speak, Count not thy chickens that unhatched be... Weigh words as wind till thou find certainty. Oh, a nice rhymical. Right? Yeah. Pops up in 1579 
I would not have him to count his chickens so soon before they be hatched, nor triumph so long before the victory. <laughs> right? Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> um, and I, that's kind of the idea. 1600s. I mean, we're going 1800s, 1900s, and again, still today, we're, we're using this this chickens phrase. And, uh, you know, it... Uh, it makes it's I guess a good good advice. You don't want to nor triumph so long before the victory, right? You don't you don't know if you're gonna win. You, I love watching the the like Olympic fails or whatever of the people who are almost to the finish line and they start celebrating and then they get passed by this person in second place who knows that the race is not over and <laughs> they still have a chance. That's that's a that's a joy to me. Yeah, people throw their arms up and then they get passed. You're like, ah. Oh. Ah, their chickens were counted. They were like, I've got all these eggs here, and I know every single one of them will become a chicken. The commander said, don't worry, I don't have the authority to kill you today, which was positive for that day anyway. In 1993, Chris Moon was captured by the Khmer Rouge while clearing landmines in Cambodia. With survival probability low, Chris was brought in front of the boss. He was just given a local nickname, Mr. Clever. Hi, I'm Steve Windus, host of the Batting the Breeze podcast. I'd love you to check out how Chris survived, along with some other great human stories at battingthebreeze.com. Hopefully see you there. Yeah, I had a, a, I still do, a friend who's a ceramic artist and and he makes beautiful work, you know, he paints on it and, and stuff. And... I remember asking him once, you know, he, he had a batch that he had painted, but they, it hadn't fired yet. Mm-hmm. I said to him, man, that one there is beautiful. How, how much is that going to be like at the gallery? And he said, I can't even begin to think that way until it comes out of that kiln because it might not come out of that kiln or it might, oh, yeah. it might break. Right. It, it, anything could happen. Oh, wow. So I don't think about anything until I pull them out, you know, and they've cooled. Until you have it and you yeah. know. Like now, right. now it is safe to think. Yeah, maybe. Okay, what's the value of this? Right, we've made it through the uh, the gestation period of the kiln. So he yeah, sim- has similar thing. Very similar. Yeah. A chicken farmer would be smart not to take any eggs for granted. Uh, leveraging them against any futures is how I put it. Yeah. So like I said, this phrase crops up in print in the 1500s. But our species has been domesticating animals and farming for over 10,000 years, Jay. 10,000. As I like to point out, we've been doing things a long time. And this this year 2022 crap, it doesn't give us the full credit of our humanity. I think it should be 12,022. You know what I'm saying? That's a whole nother thing. That's a whole... <laughs> and saying the whole nother, that's another, oh, man, yeah. That's <laughs> one of my... Yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> um, so our, our current day chicken had, was domesticated from the red jungle fowl, it says. The uh, modern chicken. The modern chicken. Or proto-chicken. We can still be proto-chicken. You know, we're, we're still back in, back in those days. But the, okay. the red jungle fowl was 8,000 years-ish ago when we started to domesticate them and breed them for our pleasure. Uh, the Wikipedia says that they were originally bred for cockfighting, but it seems like a waste of resources to, a, you know, an 8,000-year-old farmer. And cool. Why would you? Well, for sure, 100%. Yeah, that goes without saying. So I didn't say it. That's just said it. Why would you 
waste resources to raise a, an animal for a game in a time when perhaps you, you need those resources for yourself. Especially if they're pooping out eggs. <laughs> right, all of it. So, I, I, you know, it's wiki. That's why I mentioned the wiki part of it. Yeah, they're suspect sometimes. Yeah. Run um, by people against just, people. Just people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that this is the earliest that I can gather the the idea of this phrase, but, you know, a long time ago, there was a, an ancient Greek storyteller that they say is named Aesop. Have you heard of Aesop's fables, Jay? Surely. Uh, and this Aesop is coming to us live from 620 uh, BCE, before the Common Era. Yeah. Uh, and if indeed Aesop was a single person that existed in the sense that we understand how human life works, uh, it's uh, it's up to really, you know, we don't we don't know if it's been a real person or if it's, uh, you know, author's records from that era are spotty at best. But anyway, this tale gets attributed to, uh, to Aesop and his fables, a tale called The Milkmaid and Her Pail. Go on. A milkmaid had been out to milk the cows and was returning from the field with a shining milk pail balanced nicely on her head. As she walked along, her pretty head was busy with plans for the days to come. This good, rich milk, she mused, will give me plenty of cream to churn. The butter I make, I will take to market, and with that money I'll get for it, I will buy a lot of eggs for hatching. How nice it will be when they are all hatched and the yard is full of fine young chicks. Then when May Day comes, I will sell them, and with the money, I'll buy a lovely new dress to wear for the fair. I know where this is going. All the young men will look at me. They will come and try to make love to me, but I shall very quickly send them about their business. As she thought of how she would settle the matter, she tossed her head scornfully, and down fell the pail of milk to the ground, and all the milk flowed out, and with it vanished butter and eggs and chicks and a new dress and all the milkmaid's pride. Yeah. You know, this is a nice old 620 telling of a, of a fable that's teaching us not only uh, to don't count your chickens before they hatch, but maybe to keep your mind in the now and focus on what you're doing. Focus on what you do. <laughs> it's a twofer. There's something on your head that can spill. Yeah. Maybe don't toss it about. Hey, they're good lessons. Yeah. I, I think we all could uh, could stay more in the now, too. Why not just carry the pail with a handle? Uh, she might, I don't know. The, this That was the full tale. Perhaps she had her arms busy, you know, with a, I don't know, a, a pole across holding some other stuff. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, don't, don't start thinking you can turn milk into a sweet dress in just four easy steps. Just focus on walking home with that milk so you can make some sweet homemade butter. Yeah. And then once you've got the butter, you can then say, I could sell this butter for some, uh, eggs. And we've seen how difficult that butter was to make back in the day. Yeah, we definitely have. Yeah. Yeah. So don't count those chickens before they hatch. <laughs> Pay attention. Don't do it. And uh and just uh just take take life as it comes. Seven, eight, <laughs> nine. All you know is at the moment you've got nine eggs. All right then. That is something. That is a uh, slight bit of pirate that was more not pirate. Poety. Kind of, a poet pirate. Poet pirate. Irish poet. Pirate. Yeah. These ads are also poetic. Very poetic. 
Allswell believes in the power of a good night's sleep for all. Their products feature innovative technology and unbelievable comfort and support without deflating your wallet. Combining the best of both worlds, the Allswell features hybrid mattress technology with memory foam and individually wrapped coils. For a winning blend of comfort and support, follow the link in the show notes for financing as low as 0%, a 100-night risk-free trial, free shipping and returns, and a 10-year limited warranty. Designed to make good sleep accessible to all. Real luxury, unreal prices. Allswellhome.com. Whole Nine Yards is sponsored by Big Science Music. Big Science Music is a can and one show award winning original music and sound boutique, providing scoring, sound design, radio, podcast, and audio post production services for the advertising, film, and video industries. Big Science Music also offers ADR, casting, and project management. Big Science Music's reels, full capabilities, and more can be found at bigsciencemusic.com. That's bigsciencemusic.com. So we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. After the break. Yeah, I feel very friendly. I'm broken. I mean, break it. Yeah. Yeah. So... I have let them eat crow. No. Crow, let them eat crow. That's not a thing. Eat Just eat crow. Eat crow. Oh, that you thing were doing a cake. I yeah. got you. I see. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. Let them eat crow. I got you. It has a little funny twist on it. Eat crow. Yeah, and I don't use this. I do not right? either. No. But people do. Sure. People do. I've heard it. I'll say there's an old, some sort of uh, like Grimm's fairy tale or old whatever kid song. Yeah. About... Blackbirds baked in a pie. Yeah, four and twenty. Yeah, that one. That's that's as far as I got. Being proven wrong after taking a strong stand. Okay. Yeah. Admitting to being wrong often causing great embarrassment. Mm-hmm. 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 Being humble when proven wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, just the act of admitting you're wrong, not in any kind of way, but just a normal like, hey, I'm sorry about that is eating crow or hey i was wrong nice well and I, I guess the humility part of it uh, is to suggest i will eat crow and say to you i'm wrong eat my words yeah okay eat my hat or it's like after you make a big like ha and then you have to come back after you made a fool of yourself with yeah a big spectacle <laughs> Being proven wrong after taking a strong stand. Okay, the strong stand. There's, there we are. I got you. Pete was right the whole time. Yeah. Seems as if I will have to eat crow. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, there's some wacky ideas that I, I had to, to comb through. Yeah. And some of them steer you back again. This is the second one in a row that's got some kind of Bible activity. Mm-hmm. This one led me back to Leviticus chapter 7, uh, but... Not really. Um, I mean, it. there's just a bunch of stuff about a list of uh, creatures, uh, ravens and other sort of scavenger animals, which have a purpose. Yeah. You know, all nature has a whole thing. Yep. So I'm sorry, this business about unclean animals or disgusting animals, they have the place, they have the purpose. Yeah, and so the crow is kind of listed on there, but I don't, I mean, it's peripheral compared to a bunch of others. So uh, the lexicographers that dug down that route, I say to you, nay. <laughs> but I looked at it. 
so that you don't have to. I'm like a scrubbing bubble up in <laughs> just, here. Just sitting there scrubbing the bubbles. Yeah. Eat my hat, eat my heart out, eat dirt. These were other things that I pondered. Well, eat my hat is uh, is not too far away from a similar idea. Yeah, if he's right, I'll eat my hat. Yeah. Right. You're, you're strongly taking a stand. And then there's this other odd route, which I found sort of conflicting stories about but i'll tell a bit of it anyway just just to say you know uh there's some speculation here about a group of south australian people that ate crow and they were frowned upon for having eaten crow but it has a funny quote and i can't resist a funny quote <laughs> okay so this comes to us from a uh mount brown and back by cjf johnson he just needed a lot of initials that fellow <laughs> I was met with the startling information that all Adelaide men were crow eaters because it was asserted that the early settlers, when short of mutton, made a meal of the unwary crow. Was <laughs> the unwary no, the part unwary. that cracks me up. You know, because he's not expecting anyone to eat. Like, no one eats me. He's like, hey, what the and hell? He's just sitting in a tree and then boom. Zap. Yeah. So unwary is funny. Gotcha. But then there, there's a lot of um, other pointless information that does suggest that, that these Adelaide men didn't eat crow any more than the other people who didn't know what else to eat and, and ate some crow. Mm -hmm. uh, and has nothing to do with almost anything <laughs> except crows are involved. There are crows here. Yeah. I, another, though, hey, humble pie. Oh, yeah. So, that I was, mean... Uh... Humble Pie. That was like episode two or three or something, wasn't it? I don't know if it was quite that. That was when I asked if you, yeah. It was, it was an old one. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. Nice. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, it is more in the category of eating crow, mm -hmm. you know, where umbles were intestines, awful, and yeah. other less valued meats of a deer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you had to eat humble pie, yeah, mm -hmm. that puts it in this same sort of area. So all all of these things are are sort of colors that dance around it. Not not far from your suggestion, although that because it's sort of extra nebulous mm -hmm. didn't come into play in my research, but. Yes, sing a song of sixpence, a pocket full of rye, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. That's the one. But when the pie was open, the birds began to sing. Yeah. Oh, wasn't that a dainty dish to set before a king? So is that sarcasm? Though they have sarcasm where you come from? Yeah. No, they were, I don't know what the original one is, though. That's probably like the, you know mother goosed up one no i'm just saying but what what is the relevance here in that thing i can't see it mm -hmm. so uh, we're just eating birds in a pie or birds are singing in a you know it's a big joke phone in a bag this the birds come out of the pie singing mm -hmm. we didn't bake them at all no so rudyard kipling mm -hmm. you know this uh this piece in 1885 this comes into play because the strange ride of marlby jukes a european colonist in india falls into a sand pit from which he cannot escape 
Another man, a native Indian, is also trapped there who catches wild crows and eats them, saying, Once I was Brahmin and proud man, and now I eat crows. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, but he's in the sandpit. What are you going to do? Yeah, I could see the, you know, like he's saying, once I was full of pride and I knew I was right. Now I'm not that, you know, I'm, now I'm not. You know, I yeah. could see it. Yeah, but the thing is, before that, and there's just a gray line, mm -hmm. uh, everything goes back to uh, a story in the Saturday Evening Post in 1850. And in this story with variations, one published uh, also in, in San Francisco, found this one on the Google thing, uh, but tough to read with their, you know, they, mm -hmm. when they scan them and the letters get all, yeah. man, hurts my eyes. Uh, December 1851 is the best I can get out of that. But there's, there's this story about uh, these city folk that go to stay with a farmer. Okay presumably in New York State somewhere, maybe not far outside of New York City. And they complain about his food. And, and the farmer says, well, I can eat anything. And the people staying there, they say, well, uh, can you eat a crow? And the farmer says, yeah, I, I can eat a crow. So the people, they catch him a crow, but they fix it and, and sort of lace it with what they're saying, scotch snuff. And, and then the twist of it is, which is apparently humor, I can eat a crow, but be darned if I hanker after it. So I guess he's saying he ate the crow, but now he wants another one because it had that scotch snuff in it, but he didn't know, right? So it's fun. It's odd to him that now he wants another. So he must mean that he does hanker after it, and that's because it was laced with this scotch snuff. Mm. So that's the that's the best I can get out of that uh, and that's really the oldest truest uh traceable print of this mm -hmm. and then afterward uh it showed up in a few places uh you know that i quoted beforehand in that 1885 which is which is not quite the same but it's a variation on it and it also showed up in 1854 in, in another version of this same story uh samuel Putnam Avery published a book, Mrs. Parkinson's Carpet Bag of Fun. <laughs> Again, with the titles. Mm -hmm. See, in that early permutation, there wasn't a lot of pride or humility or anything. This farmer was just saying, I don't know why you guys don't like my food. I'm a humble farmer or whatever. I eat whatever's available. And they say, well, can you eat a crow? That would be terrible, you know? And he says, yes, I can even eat a crow. But then they throw the story off by lacing the crow. If they hadn't laced the crow with this scotch snuff, I'd right. get it. But uh, he would just eat the crow, and then that would be that. But it, but it's not... The farmer wasn't wrong about anything, and there no. was no humbleness he wasn't in that. necessarily boastful. Right. Except that he, he said he saying, could eat a crow. Yeah, I could... Yeah. I, I know. It's a little unrewarding... But, but, you know, that is uh, sometimes stuff be that way. It do, it do be that way. Sometimes it do be that way. Well, that sounds like a whole can of worms. It, 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 it was Over there. sort of a little bit. Yeah. Can of worms. Yeah, I got that. You're opening up with that one. Good job. Uh, can of worms. Mm -hmm. 
examine or attempt to solve some problem, only to inadvertently complicate it and create even more trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like I do on a daily basis. I wasn't going to say. Yeah, no, it's okay. I know. I know who I am in my life. <laughs> I see it. I'm here. Uh, I say this one all the time. I'm like, I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but let me get the can opener out real fast and crank that down. Can of worms, right? Yeah. Uh, this worm comes from uh, Old English, even further back. W-Y-R-M, uh, serpent, snake, dragon, reptile. Hmm. Goes back even further to Old Norse, and it's O-R-M-R, like ormr. Yeah, they did that. <laughs> um, but we can trace this back to P, uh, you know, P-I-E, Proto-Indo-European. Right. Uh, the W-R-M-I, they're saying pronounced worm, um, but to turn, to bend, is the predecessor of worm. Oh. Yeah, right? To turn and bend. So worms are classified under the, well, they're under the class uh, Oligocata, under the order Opisothopera. <laughs> yep, yep. I was going to say that. Yeah. Uh, the family Clitalata. So an earthworm, which I'm going to primarily talk about, uh, moves a lot of worms, not just earthworms. I'm sorry. This whole order um, moves using these sort of little hairy protrusions that they can kind of... Uh, extend from their body segments that's you know? how they do it yeah they, they're called uh setae setae i also saw like chetae they're just little hairs essentially huh. so to move this worm uses its little uh hairs to sort of anchor the front part of its body if you're thinking of a line you know you're anchoring the front part and then you can contract these, uh, what they say, longitudinal muscles to shorten the body. So it kind of pulls the back towards the front. The front's locked down, you know? Yeah. And it pulls the back towards the front. Then it anchors the back with its little hairs. And then it contracts these other muscles that let the front part lengthen back out. You know, like a little inchworm. You kind of get the idea, right? Oh, I'm picturing it. They're sort of uh, wriggling along. You know, writhing across the ground, if you will. It functions uh, in a similar... I think they do call it uh, peristalsis in the same way that our intestines function, you know? When uh, you get that little rumble in the tummy. Yeah. It's the same, same, same. Have one now. Yeah, it's just that. It's uh, the same actions happening inside you that I just described. <laughs> uh, reverse cilia. Yeah. Uh, he knew, this is in the Times, February 1962, he knew that he had opened the bidding on what is sometimes called a can of worms. And in 1962, can of worms is, is in quotes. Oh, so this is that young? I think that was the OED told me that, but Michael Quinion, uh, the renowned etymologist of worldwide words, says the earliest he found was in the Ironwood Daily Globe uh, in Michigan, 1951. The question of command for Middle East defense against Soviet aggression is still regarded as a, quote, can of worms at General Eisenhower's uh, SHAPE headquarters here, and SHAPE is an acronym. Uh, so 51 still in quotes. I didn't know this personally, but of course it makes perfect sense uh, because there was a time before plastics and styrofoams, right? 
So yeah. if you were a fisherman or a person who needed to fish, whatever, you go to a bait shop and they would sell you uh, earthworms or whatever live bait you would purchase in metal cans with, uh, you know, handles and lids, kind of like a, like a little pot with a claspy lid on top. Uh, so yeah, they would go to the bait shops and get them in these fancy pots with lids. Uh, and apparently, you know, the, the thing that fishermen like about live bait is that it's alive. So when you hook it down there and tempt fish with the bait, it's moving around and, uh, and trying to get fish to come at it. Yeah. Um, they also, the bad thing about live bait is that it's alive. So that if you, if one was to leave the lid off this container, uh, it's chances are you would lose all of your bait or it would writhe give opportunity to exit uh, <laughs> as the worms uh, sort of writhe out of your can to leave to, leave, to escape yeah exactly <laughs> uh, so once you've, you've opened this can you, you probably do have a problem on your hands almost instantly as they are alive and keep on moving um, but Michael Quinion traces this back to 1914 uh, even further back I like further back yeah um, there are times, alas, when even fish are perverse. Thoroughly out of patience, Diane presently unjointed her rod, emptied the can of worms upon the bank, and returned to camp. Literal use, but crops up in 1914, so we've been selling cans of worms for a while. This is her saying, to hell with this. Yeah, I'm done. I can't catch anything, I'm just give the damn worms away. Right, thoroughly out of patience. No, she sends them back. Well, sets yeah. them free. She just jumps. She just dumps them out. Yeah. Emptied the can of worms upon the bank. Yeah. So a can of worms. They're going to be wriggly and kind of get out of that can. Uh, so when you open a can of worms, you're creating more problems than you had before with the closed can. Because they might get out. And in our case, they always get they out. They always get out. So many worms. There's so many worms. Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes you have to open those cans because you know if you don't, it's going to be even worse later, you know? Sometimes you have to ask those questions yeah. up front. Yeah, I hate doing it. Because you know if you don't ask them, it's going to come back later. That's another idiom altogether. Yep. But so this is the 20th century, really, though. This is really not that old. No, no. Uh, the cans, I mean, yeah. There's no um, pirate speak. I didn't get medieval, any pirate speak. Uh, Tongue stuff, nothing. No, just the worm can yeah, trick us back. Like for the... <laughs> but can of worms is uh, relatively newish. All right. Yeah. Animals. And animals. Yeah. Our first topic laden episode. Yeah, it's been a minute since 1914. Feels like it. <laughs> so yeah, open your own can of worms and email us or contact us with thoughts, comments, suggestions, or relative criticisms. Yeah. At uh, what you call whole nine yards pod. On Twitter, Reddit, and Instagram. That nine is a number. That nine whole is a nine number. yards pod. That nine is a number. <laughs> yes. And then whole nine yards podcast. That nine is a number. Whole nine yards podcast. On Facebook and Meta or whatever. Yeah. Facebook Meta. Mimi. Yeah, Mimi. <laughs> and. We'll be there. We'll be We're there. on the other side. It's like it's like sending a telegram, only faster. Beep 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 beep. Yeah, and we're right there. That's not the same. That's, That's kind of ship to sea. It's yeah. a telegraph. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. Um, 
And everything, uh, yeah, will be wonderful. Yeah. Just imagine that. In its own way. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm Jay. And I'm Ray. And we're We're not not idioms. idioms. Oh, you did the... I tried something. No, I went the other one. That's all right. That's all right. Whole Nine Yards is written, recorded, and produced by Big Science Pods. Learn more at whole9yards.org or contact Whole Nine Yards by emailing heyyou at whole9yards.org. That's heyyou at whole9yards.org. Whole Nine Yards theme music composed by Big Science Music.